Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here on a Canucks game day live from the Kintech Studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Calm. We'll chat with uh, Rob Rossi, of course, covers the Penguins for The Athletic at 1. Lots to talk about with Rob. Obviously, Jake Gensel, uh, some other guys who could be on the move from Pittsburgh, just generally what the direction of the franchise is going to be. And uh, our pal Ryan Clark from ESPN will join us at 1.30. So lots to get into. Uh, before any of that, let's hear from Canucks head coach Rick Tockett. Well, I mean, just over the years uh, watching and being around those guys or even watching from afar, you know, they got a core group that doesn't get, you know, they don't get antsy in games. And they, you know, they got that pedigree, and it's uh, it, it's experience. It goes a long way. Um, it looks like the power play is kind of split up from what we saw at practice today. Uh, I guess, can you walk us through your thought process of kind of splitting it up? It almost feels well, like. Well, I think sometimes you need a breather from each other. Some guys need to maybe have their own units, take a shot at it, see how it works. I mean, it's only practice, but I thought uh, I thought it looked, one side looked really good, so. Hopefully it works out, but I, I think there's nothing wrong with it. Um, plus, it gives you know, it gives a little freshness to it. And um, I saw a little juice out there from some guys, so we'll see how it works. Uh, Wanted to ask about JT Miller a little bit as yeah. well. He's one of the more experienced playoff players on this team and on this roster. At this point in the season, uh-huh. are you seeing his game change to to kind of take on more <laughs> leadership, or is it just he's just playing well? Like, what is it with his game? Well, he drives play. If you look the. Even went through our little slump. I mean, he was you know he was a play driver. Um, you know, he's f- first on the four check. Like he's re- he's really willed his his last game was like you know obviously he was a big reason why we won. Um, I think he had what eight or nine hits and you know, got three points and you know he's an all around game. But I think the last especially the last three four games you could tell that he's really he wants to amp it up here for the last twenty. You know he you know he wants to get you know. He wants people to get on his back and let's go. You know, you need players like that. Rick, you played in Philadelphia, a city where the fans eat their own. So you know what it's like. (laughs) You know what it's like to play there. You know what it's like to be criticized there. When you first came here, one of your first things you said to us was you wanted to control the noise. You wanted to have an environment for your players where they can play in a hockey-mad market not worry about speculation of what's out there. Having said that, do you feel you have to talk to somebody like Patterson, who, again, is the subject of so much rampant <clears throat> speculation out there? Do you have to take him aside or, or just let him go? Yeah, it's, it's PD. It's anybody. I think you have to really be in tune with your players. A lot of one-on-ones with your players, especially when things don't go your way. Um, and it's hard. I know every reads social media and, uh, you know, the good or bad. You know, you got to be careful when you're, you're going good. You know, you don't, you know. Sometimes I've seen it the other way where you're going good, you forget your details, and all of a sudden you slump. So I think it's both ways. But, yeah, I mean, P's what, he's been here five years. He knows, the, you know, the market. And, uh, you know, you insulate yourself in the room. That's the best way to insulate yourself. You don't have uh, – you know, you try to create a safe environment here for the guys in the sense of keep the noise outside. It's hard, but, uh, you know, you got to do it. How do you assess McKayev on his wing, though? We know about the 28 games, but he yeah. he was better last game. McKayev, you, do you keep him there, or what do you do? Yeah, I think you want to see if he can put, put another. You know, I thought he I thought he made strides last game. So the, the next step is, can he play another game like that? You know, uh, it's no different our team. You know, we had a really good game against Boston. You know, can we have another good game? So it's no different than McKayev. We have a we have. It's not just Mac. There's about four or five guys I think that 
They were better last game, but we got we need some more consistent effort from some some guys here, more detailed. With JT, you mentioned that yeah. um, you know he wants guys to get on his back. Do you get the sense that they are that they feed off his energy when he's going the way he has been? Yeah, I do. I, f- I find when he has a couple of good shifts together um, and does what we ask, you know, the next line will follow. Um, I think Garland's another guy, you know, the, who's another guy that I thought last game, that Lindholm line was good. I thought, you know, they had some chances, but they were played a really good 200-foot game. So I think guy, the, when you look like lines like that, how they played last game, people want to be part of that um, by doing the right things. You've got the three centers now playing in those spots, which on the surface gives you a lot of center depth. But do you have enough winger depth for that to be sustainable, to play Miller, Petey, and, and Lindholm? Well, you got to remember Teddy, too. Teddy's a yeah. great fourth line. You know, if he's going to play the fourth line. I, I, I like the balance. Um, <clears throat> hey, listen, we're playing a team. Sidney Crosby had Gensel, Rust, um, Scott Will. He had four or five pleather. We just rotated guys in, and he made it work. So, um you can't go and get. We can't just go and get fifty goal scores. You know, you just you, you can't go get free agents at ten. To, like, you got to make it work. And we have. I mean, you took those four center. They're as good as they're in the in, in the Pacific, I think. And there's depth there, so like we got to make it work. What the schedule? Uh, you know, guys kind of admitted that they laid that egg against Seattle, yeah. but it came at the end of a pretty rough stretch. You guys have a pretty good one coming up. A lot of home games. Yeah. No back to backs. Um, do you feel that's going to help? Yeah, I, I knew this forever was going to be tough. When we it was the start of it after that, you know, we went. I think we went four zero and one or something. We had a, a good run, and then it just, I think our inconsistency came. But that's where it, I've talked to you guys about is you got to play tired, and when you you don't feel good, you got to be smart, good angles, let the game come to you. And sometimes when you're you're pressing when you're tired, um, or you you have a, a long shift, you try to you try to get that one last sh- one last rush in when you shouldn't. That's when you lose games. So I think that's the I keep saying next level, but that's what we have to learn. You know, it's no different down the road. You know, we're going to be in some games where you don't feel good. You got to make sure they can hold the fort. And I thought we did most of the year. We've done a good job of that. I just lately we haven't. So hopefully the Boston game gives us a little bit of buy-in to that. That you know, that's what you have to do when you're tired. If you're tired. Demko starts tonight. Yep. Uh, how do you manage your goalies kind of down the stretch here? Obviously, you've got Casey who's played well all season long as well. Like, how do you look at their workloads down the stretch? Yeah, I, I rely on Clarkie a lot, but you know we're going to have to get Casey in. I mean, it's you know we got a certain is to an exact science how many games Denver's going to play. I don't have it to the exact game, but we know there's a range what we Denver to play, and we got to get Casey in here for sure. You know, you got to think long term, um, and I think we really like Denver especially. And Casey, but they get one-on-one time. Sometimes they, he doesn't even have to practice, but he'll go with Clarkie in the morning, just them, and, he, and then he kick him off the ice. We're going to probably do that in the next two weeks too. So that will help Demmer save the miles on him, you know, and get Casey some some more reps. I mean, the poor guy hasn't, you know, he's, he's played long stretches, you know, ten days or two weeks. So it, it's it's hard as a backup goaltender to do that. Talk, um, you're strong down the middle. So are the Penguins, yeah. Sid Gino. Uh, Eller and Achari. Yeah. Uh, will you chase any kind of, with the last change at home, chase any kind of matchup that way, or are you just like best on best? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, you, you know, obviously a guy like Sid, and Sid's not a guy that takes long shifts, so some of my theory goes out, you try to get two lines. Some centers stay along, so you have two lines against them. Sid doesn't. Sid's pretty smart. So uh, we had a couple of lines. You know, I, I'd like to make sure that they're out there against Sid. 
but um, and certain defense part players. But you know, it's it's hard to contain them. Um, you know, I like matchup to a point. I don't want like, it's not a hard matchup, but there are some some times on the ice you got to get certain guys on against certain people. So I will look for that tonight. Yes. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking to the media before they play Pittsburgh tonight at Rogers Arena. And I do think it says a lot about Rick Tockett that asked about Sidney Crosby, one of the not directly asked about Sidney Crosby, but talking about Sidney Crosby. And one of the first things he brings up is, yeah, Sid's really smart. Doesn't take long shifts. That tells you a lot about what Rick Tockett values in a hockey player right there. He means a lot to him. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those. And, you know, I thought the matchup question right toward the end is interesting because you'll remember – Niels Hoaglander's ice time really f- flagged in that game in Pittsburgh. Mm. And that was because he'd had that huge game against the Rangers, right? And then, um, you know, had played well against the Islanders. That was kind of like the, you know, he he's had a good season. He's been productive all year. But that was like sort of the start of the run that he really went on in February, yep. punctuated by those goals against the Leafs and then him bumping up the lineup. And... That was that was a moment though where his ice time really faded and became a local talking point again. Like, oh, what's Niels Hoaglander got to do to earn his ice? And I'm pretty sure it was con- entirely about Tockett's respect for Sid in that matchup. So that's that's one thing to note. You know, Tockett talking about the soft match that he'll probably look to be uh, certainly attentive to in dealing with Crosby here. You know, I, I think we should. Like, suspend your annoyance about a certain guy's ice time tonight. Right. You know, if Baines only plays... Well, I was going to say, yeah, Baines would be the other guy to, to really monitor there. Five or six minutes or something? Like, now, Baines has been so reliable defensively, I'm not saying it's necessarily going to happen. I just do think that context, like, keep that answer in mind when you start to see, you know, media members tweet about ice time after the game, because this is not... This is a one-off. In some in some meaningful respects, based off of, you know how how cautious talk it might be in handling that matchup. It is interesting too, and you know that that question was framed in light of the Canucks having the strength down the middle, and you know Miller, Pedersen, Lindholm, and as Talkett said, look, you have Bluger in that mix as well as the fourth line center, and it's not just down the middle, but if you look at it, you know Miller playing with Besser and Pew Suter. I think that's a group that we've seen Rick Tockett really trust. You know, Patterson, yeah, he has Hoagland on the line, but still Ilya Mikheyev, who, for all of his offensive struggles, is still an extremely trustworthy, defensively responsible player. And, you know, Elias Lindholm was playing next to Connor Garland. I don't think we really think of Connor Garland in that matchup-type role, but he's been so effective at controlling play for this team. And even in the course of that uh, that chat with the media from Tockett, you know, Somebody asked, like, our team is the team really following JT Miller's lead? And Talk was like, yes. And also Connor Garland. That's the kind of impact he's having for this team. So that's very high praise um, for Connor Garland from Rick Tockett. So it's not just that you have the centers that the coach trusts. You've got at least one other guy on every line that uh, the coach obviously really feels good about. Now, again, you can raise the questions about Niels Hoaglander. Is it asking a little much for Arshdeep Baines this early in his career to be, you know, out there for a significant time? against Sidney Crosby, but uh, it does give the coaching staff and Rick Tockett a lot of different options now that you go to that three guys down the middle look uh, that they're using and looks like they'll at least start the game with um, tonight. Now, the other part of that that I thought was really interesting because, yes, this is the coach. He's not the GM. He's not the president. He's not making personnel decisions, but his answer about, yeah, you go strong down the middle 
And then you just try to find the wingers to make it work. And they might not be, you know, you can't just go out and acquire 50 goal scorers at a salary cap system. That's going to get really expensive. You have to find wingers who can complement your centers and your strength down to middle, down the middle using the Pittsburgh example. And I thought that was really, really interesting as we wonder what the Canucks might do ahead of March 8th and the trade deadline, a little glimpse into Tockett's philosophy where, yeah, I'm sure he'd love to go at Jake Gensel. Who wouldn't? Jake Gensel's a phenomenal player, proven playoff performer, all of that. But if you're looking, if the Jake Gensel thing doesn't pan out, what type of winger are they looking for? And I know you had the uh, the piece up at The Athletic today, non-rental targets uh, that the Canucks could be interested in. And a bunch of the names on this list kind of, fit what talk it was talking about there, right? They don't have to be pure 30, 40, 50 goal score names, but are they guys who have certain traits that can come in and complement what you want to do and play alongside your top three centers? Yeah, the – I mean, I still think size too. Like some of what talk it's talked about, wanting a fourth line with an identity. Right. You know, um, that the-, the identity of it's flagged a bit since they moved Hoaglander up the lineup. Um, you know, Sam Lafferty's form has come back to earth a little bit. Bluger was kind of necessary almost to fatten that lineup yep. to to stabilize it. You know, well, if you and like Brandon Duham's name came up yesterday for right. Frank. Like, if if you go with if you have Bluger fan, between Duham and Lafferty, like that has an identity right away. Those guys yeah. are going to get her in the forecheck. Physical, Bluger's defensively responsible. That yep. you know what I mean. So yeah, for sure. And and that's why you know in in my list of non rentals, I included a guy like Tessier. Right, Alexandra Tessier, a uh, French-born player uh, out of Columbus, 24 years old, um, has had some like pretty productive seasons, but also spent a year in Europe uh, as he dealt with some personal issues. Um, you know, RFA after this year, but like fast, hardworking, pretty big, six one, two hundred plus pounds. You know that that to me is the type of move where, yeah, it, are you going to spend a, a mess of assets to get a Phil DiGiuseppe upgrade? Like probably not, but. It's at least, you know, those marginal mm-hmm. improvements could matter down the line. Um, you know, I still think that Greenway possibility, like the bigger body to me, especially with how dependent this team is on screens, on traffic at the net, um, you know, flash screens, but also layered screens to score levels as talk it would call it. You know, I, I do think that that I do think some additional size like I can't escape the this team's need for additional size and and one more penalty killer you know what to me that looms large in a lot of talk it's commentary I think overall like a winger is definitely a need I think the defense has maybe played at enough of a level that a, a player like Gensel like a difference maker like Gensel would appeal to the club maybe slightly more than than a top four right-handed defender but I don't know man like I still think the club's pursuit of Chris Tanev is instructive. I still think that tells you or speaks volumes about how management would feel like they'd really set the team up for success if they could have Myers in, on that third pair. You know what I mean? With Juleson as a seventh guy, I feel like that it, would be an ideal setup from Rutherford and company's point of view. It, that's why I keep coming back to it as well. Beyond the relationship with Chris Tanev, but just in my mind's eye, and I think you even referenced the possibility of a Susie Tanev hard minutes second pair. I love the sound of that, first of all. 
But then the, the, you even, it trickles down to the third pair, right? You've got Ian Cole and Tyler Myers on your third pair, and that's an incredible luxury or a really good luxury to have going into a, what you hope is a long playoff run with, as you said, Noah Juleson uh, as your seventh defenseman. And we've seen what he's able to do stepping into the lineup when necessary this year. So it makes a ton of sense from that perspective. You know, it doesn't, it, it's, it doesn't address your penalty killing at the forward position, obviously, but it still helps your penalty kill uh, in general as well so it, it makes a lot of sense and you know I think when you start to talk about not Jordan Greenway because he's making a little bit more money but when you get down to the Brandon uh, Duham, you know Alexander Textier those kind of names it feels like one of those is going to happen like almost with, a, with an extremely high degree of certainty we've mm. just heard the emphasis on the size the speed the forechecking too much those players are affordable both in terms of salary cap and what it takes to get them like it would be a major surprise if you don't see another ad or for me anyways it would be a major surprise if we don't see an ad like that before the trade deadline and then the question for me is just how much more expensive how much more big game hunting can you do? Will those other things materialize or are you kind of limited ultimately to, you know, a couple of moves around the fringes like that? Because as you said, look, do they move the needle? No, but you never know. You never know when somebody's going to get injured and somebody else is going to have to step in the lineup and you want to have an option you feel really, really good about who's drawing into the lineup there. Yeah. In in a, in the case of a guy like DeHame too, I mean, you just get a guy who can punish opponents. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A, a guy like Greenway's like a- actually a difference maker defensively in a way that I don't think you'd expect out of Dehame but you know that component matters you know like adding a guy with speed like Tessier I mean I think there's third line upside there right I mean this is a guy who's only 24 mm-hmm. um he's produced pretty well I- across his last several NHL games you know there's some risk there given the uh, sojourn that he took with Zurich last season, but you know we're talking about a guy who has 38 points. Okay, 38 points in a in a brutal environment in Columbus uh-huh. uh, across his last 90 NHL games, and and would be basically free. You know, you plug and play him on the fourth line RFA this summer at a at a relatively inexpensive QO, and you know down the line could be a third line guy. And that's sort of the other thing that ties that list together as you go through it. And it's not just about, obviously, every guy would bolster this team for this season, but it's also about managing all the departures. Right. Right. It, you know, in, in Tessier's case, or or the case of a guy like Greenway, does that help you, given that Dakota Joshua and Sam Lafferty, like a lot of your size in the bottom six is expiring? You're going to have to replace that. Um, you know, a, a defender, like a guy like John Merrill, who I included on the list, you know, not the sexiest name, wouldn't even be a regular necessarily the day you acquired him. But at one point two million next season, is that insurance for Cole Zadorov and company, yep. um, who are going to expire and p- probably are going to be able to get raises given the success of this team and their contributions to it? So uh, that's sort of the the point of that piece is looking at the season and what the Canucks can address to help them short term, but also thinking about how they can protect themselves, give them wiggle room. Uh, this summer, given how many expirings they have and how many how many place players they're going to have to replace, yeah, key players as well as you mentioned. Yeah. So if you can get someone now, but also makes your salary cap situation easier to figure out, 
in the summer. That's a very, very interesting option. Uh, you can go check out that piece from Drancer at The Athletic right now looking at non-rental potential trade deadline targets uh, for the Canucks. Uh, speaking of rental trade deadline targets, Jake Gensel's team is in town. He won't be playing. He's on the shelf uh, with an injury. But we'll talk about the Gensel situation and more, all things Penguins, with Rob Rossi from The Athletic. That's coming up next year on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It's a good game. Should be a fun one tonight. Sidney Crosby and the Penguins in town to play the Vancouver Canucks. And we now go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. The first call, the only call, where we are joined from the Athletic, covering the Pittsburgh Penguins, by Rob Rossi. Rob, thank you for doing this. How are you? I'm great, gentlemen. How are you? We're doing well. We're excited for this one. Always a big deal when Sidney Crosby is here in Vancouver. And, of course, with uh, with the connections between these teams, it takes on some heightened significance. And then also... Uh, with the Jake Gensel rumors as well. And I know he's on the <laughs> shelf uh, right now, so we won't see him tonight. But what's the latest in Pittsburgh on the will they or won't they trade Jake Gensel beat? Uh, you know, I, I think it depends on who you talk to. If you're if you're talking to me, I, I'm still 50-50 just because I haven't had anybody tell me to go higher or lower than that. But I also don't understand the logic for keeping them especially when you know multiple teams like Vancouver and certainly Edmonton and, you know, possibly Florida. Like you just, you just, when you know teams that think they can make a run at this cup, that seems to be there for the taking for anybody that qualifies. Um, I, I don't see how, if you're the Penguins, you don't use this opportunity with Gensel who you haven't signed um, to, to, try to fast track something in the summer that can begin building this back up again. I think they have to do it, but that doesn't mean they will because I don't think Sidney Crosby and his, you know, Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin stuck around to, to rebuild and the ownership wanted them around. So, you know, Kyle Dubas is in a little bit of a spot here. So if yeah, it's a tricky one. There's no doubt about that (laughs) for all the reasons that you laid out there. If they do decide to go ahead and pull Jake Gensel, you know, given what you were saying, right? Like they want, they still want to do this fast turnaround. They've still got these these franchise icons, including Sidney Crosby, under contract. What's he targeting in return? Is this going to be a typical trade deadline acquisition where it's mostly futures, or does he need to? to try to find something a little different with more win now pieces coming back. Well, I, you know, I think that, I think that really depends on which, which person he gets towards making the deal with, you know, um, I don't know that say prospects from 
say the Vancouver Canucks, you know, and I'm, I'm look, the Penguins are going to want a top prospect and they're going to want a first round pick. It's a matter of will they settle for something that just is at that point or will they want other things in return? Um, I think, you know, an organization like Vancouver probably excites them a little more prospect-wise than, say, the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, the Florida Panthers probably excite them a lot if they want to either get prospects or top young players. Um, I don't, you know, not top young players, but a f- young players that can fill a piece here um, because that's what they need. They need to get younger. So I, I think it's going to depend on who they're talking to. And Kyle Dubis, would be derelict of duty if he didn't play offers off one another to set up his franchise best going forward. Rob, you've covered Jim Rutherford teams for an awfully long time. Um, (laughs) Put yourself in our shoes. What would you expect just knowing what you do about Rutherford's MO between now and March 8th from the Canucks? With regards to Gensel or in general? In general. Just like if you were in my uh, shoes covering this team, how would you be thinking about what to man, expect? Jim, Jim, Jim's, a, Jim's, a, Jim's, a, Jim's a country gambler, man. <laughs> I mean, he, like, now here's the thing, though. Usually, if he's going to do something big, and he's already done one thing big, you know, him mm. and Patrick, I don't want to take Patrick out of this. But, no. Um, 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 but. They've already done one real big thing, which is what his M.O. usually is, strike early. When he has successfully stricken early in the past in Pittsburgh, the last week has sort of been like Jim, Jim you know, gripping the dice and being like, okay, man, you know, I, I want more. I should probably <laughs> stop this, but, but I want more. And, and so I wouldn't necessarily feel like any, anything the Canucks want to hold on to long term uh, in terms of assets or whatever, are, aren't in play if he thinks he can make a move. And regarding specifically Gensel, look, nobody knows that guy better. No other head of a hockey operations, and I'm guessing no head of hockey operations, given the situation here the past few years, knows Gensel better than what goes on in Vancouver. And that's, you know, that's a three-headed tier there. And i got to say, of all the teams I think he might fit best with, that's the one where I could see him really going and loving it. With how things have gone for the Penguins so far this year, you know, I know there was jubilation when the club first hired Dubas. Is the bloom off the rose, or was the magnitude of the task at hand this summer, like, is that, is that understood that this was always something of a long shot? Well, as you know, I, I devoted a lot of words last year to the, <laughs> just how bad it was. Um, I think there were 4,000, and I'm, I've written a few since, and I'm still trying to find for the perfect phrase. Um, I keep going back to Dubis inheriting a uh, tire fire engulfed by a runaway inferno. <laughs> like, it, it, it was bad. Like, they yeah. had no prospects. They had no players near the NHL, they had some terrible contracts, some like ghastly contracts that, you know, he was able to shed because of getting Carlson. But the bottom line is they thought they were building a team this year that could contend. And I know that they lean a lot on these underlying metrics that say, look, we are getting chances. We should be scoring more. We're way low on 
expected goals for. Um, yeah, all of that is true, but none of it matters right now because it's going to take something exceptional from them and something exceptionally bad from two or three or four teams ahead of them in the standings to make the playoffs. And two years out of a playoff spot is not something I can imagine um, Sidney Crosby, who is committed to staying here, doesn't want to see fixed quickly. And so I think there's probably more pressure on Dubas uh, at this point than anybody expected. Beyond Jake Gensel, and I think Gensel's a little more complicated because, you know, other than Latang Malkin, Sidney Crosby, he's the kind of the he's been a key player for that team and really helped them uh help them win. But beyond Jake Gensel, are there other names that you think might move at the deadline or or at least could be possibilities? I know Riley Smith's name has been out there, you know, hasn't really worked out. One more year left on his deal after this one, just a year removed from winning uh the cup with uh with Vegas. Gensel's complicated, but there are, are there other moves that might be easier for Dubas to make at the deadline? Yeah, I think Riley Smith is, is an easier move if you can convince a GM that for whatever reason his, you know, apparent disinterest in Pittsburgh could be sort of rekindled elsewhere. Um, you know, I think the problem there is you, they can't trade him back to, they can't trade him back to um, Vegas without um, with by retaining some salary. So um, or else maybe there's a deal to be done there. Um, I think teams might ask uh, on Marcus Pedersen. I can't believe the Penguins are going to lose him. He's become a bona fide top four defenseman on the left side, a real sturdy guy that, that has a lot of off-ice intangibles too. Um, I guess if you get an offer you can't refuse, you listen on on that. But, I mean, I think – when you look at the deals that maybe Dubas could make, Riley Smith, uh, Alex Najokovic, and possibly, and I don't know if this is really doable, but possibly could he get someone to take a bite on, say, a Nolachari, who, who could maybe, uh, he has a, you know two more years left on his contract, but maybe if you're a contender, you're willing to deal with that because it gives you a, or, you know, a real defensive presence for your bottom six. But I think if he could do, pull off all those moves and whatever he gets in return, I think that would be successful, we, even if he doesn't deal Gensel. Why hasn't it worked for Riley Smith? Because I think a lot of people, when when Dubas made that trade and he's coming off a cup win, looked at it like, hey, that's a really smart, you know, pretty affordable acquisition because of the salary. What's gone wrong for Riley Smith in Pittsburgh? For whatever reason, he just doesn't look comfortable. I don't know. I don't know if he. I don't know if he wanted to be. I mean, I. I. I've been told he didn't want to be traded from Vegas, and I understand that. You know, coming off a cup team and in a, a market where you're a rock star. I mean, and you know, the original member and all that. Um, but he hasn't ever looked comfortable. Um, it's been so bad at times that you know he's become a, a third line winger. Um, he only has ten goals, and that's with a you know recent hot streak of three in like 12 or 13 games like he's just uh he just doesn't look like comfortable here as a player and it, it just doesn't look like a good cultural fit for him but i mean hockey culture um and um sometimes that happens but um i think i think if if, if riley smith goes to another team and feels comfortable 
to me, he's as intriguing as any winger out there uh, on the deadline because you can get a real asset there, and that might be a deal where the Penguins can maybe extract more than people are expecting. You, you mentioned disinterest. You know, Riley Smith's one of those kind of reserved people. Uh, has that been sort of at the genesis of, of the of the fit or the perception of disinterest that you're talking about? Um, I, you know what? I can't say. I, I mean, I, I I can't say. I haven't been told things, mm-hmm. the same things enough by the same people to feel comfortable even – you know, yeah. thinking about it. Um, I just, that, I just know that, you know, there's a sense that it, it, it's not, there, it, there's a sense that this isn't a good fit. And that doesn't mean anybody's wrong here. Sometimes that happens. Um, but if you're asking me if Riley Smith, who is a bit reserved, yeah, reserved people have fit into this, this locker room a right. lot. I think this locker room is strange because, again, you've got to remember You've got these iconic three players that have sort of run the show here for two decades. You've got this big personality and Eric Carlson that comes in and kind of creates his own orbit. Um, And then you've got a bunch of guys other than say Rustin Gensel, who have been uh, essentially assembled over the past four years by three GMs. So I could see a situation where Riley Smith gets here and is a little bewildered by it because the Penguins have been known for their stability, and this has not been stable to which he's walked in. With So how dramatic a direction do you expect Dubas to sort of chart here before the deadline? I mean, Gensel would seem pretty moderate given that he's an expiring UFA, I know, though, that any move to weaken this team short-term, given Crosby's age, given uh, his contract status, will will still be major news. But um, is there any possibility of, of the Penguins embarking on something more ambitious there, or is that just a non-starter while Crosby, Latang, Malkin uh, still remain? Uh, I mean, I'd have to know what ambitious means, but, mm. I mean, I'll just say this. I think the the plan right now is is probably moving a lot closer to being 60-40 at least that Gensel is going to be dealt and, and that is going to lay the foundation or at least part of the foundation for what will be a offseason that I expect to be uh, very busy for Kyle Dubas trying to find players that will make this team younger while also attempting to keep it to bring it back to a state of competitive and also figuring out, you know, how do they make sure that the Eric Carlson that comes back next season is, is not sort of fish out of water in Pittsburgh, you know, putting up really good numbers, but are they getting everything they can out of him given the power play struggles? I think that's a big chunk of their foundation too, but I think what we're going to see with Gensel, Riley Smith, and whoever else they might deal, that they're going to try to do this summer, sort of lay the foundation for what they hope will be a very quick turnaround. Rob, appreciate the time. Thank you for the insight, and uh, hopefully uh, the game is a good one tonight. Enjoy it. 
As long as they go, uh, no, don't go past regulation, I always do. <laughs> well, let's hope there's not too many power plays either with the way both these teams are struggling on the man yeah. advantage right now. Yeah, yeah. Let's keep well, this at even well, strength. The, the Penguins go on a... If the Penguins go on a few power plays, that's going to be a few shorthanded goals for the Canucks. So, uh, we've seen that. Thank so. you, Rob. All right, guys. That is Rob Rossi uh, from The Athletic. And uh, really interesting perspective. And, you know, you hear him lay it out, what the Penguins might do. And as much as it is maybe difficult from a, an organizational cultural perspective to trade Jake Gensel, you look at what the, the other options they have to try to do – because. You're trying to get better and younger at the same time. That's really, really difficult to do. He's really their only plausible option to do that. Like Riley Smith, good player. Don't get me wrong, but you know has another year left at five million. He's 32. He's underperforming this year. I don't think you're getting a haul for Riley Smith unless you decide you want to trade somebody like Marcus Pedersen, who, as uh, as Rob was saying, has become a really important player for them. Your only asset that really moves the needle is Jake Gensel before you get down to guys like, you know, Nola Chari. When you look at it from that perspective, it's hard to see, as Rob was saying, how do they not make this trade? If that's the goal, if your goal is to really try to quickly reset, get younger, but stay competitive and be better next year, you almost have to trade Jake Gensel to give yourself an opportunity mm. to do that. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's fair. The overall... You know, listening to him talk about the situation that Dubas inherited, it does feel familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. And it took, what, 18 months at least before we started to see dividends? Mm-hmm. Right? 18 months, and a lot of them were gut-wrenching. Right? Like, very difficult to see the seams of of, of a coherent plan, much less um, one that could deliver a team this good. So... You know, it's hard. Like, get get younger and more affordable. <laughs> I mean... And better. And it's load like, up your prospects. I, you know, one thing that helped the Canucks, for example, in, in achieving some of this, being bad for a couple of years. You know, that's the other thing. Like, people talk about the Canucks prospect system, and, and look, I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody, but what's the main reason why the Canucks prospect system is closer to league average today than it was? Because they drafted Volander and In the top half. Mm-hmm. You know, I relatively straightforward i don't envy dubas's task here no it's a very very tricky one i also uh, i thought it was really interesting to hear him say just that you know he thought vancouver would kind of be from a gensel perspective not even from a canucks perspective but from a gensel perspective uh vancouver would be a really logical landing place and not just logical but somewhere he could see him because of the comfort factor with talkett alvin rutherford of him kind of really coming in and fitting in well and contributing. And then also his line about um, his line about Jim Rutherford. He's a country gambler. And he, sure, he makes his big move, but then as the deadline keeps closer, he's just holding those dice, wanting to take another role, wanting to take another swing. And, you know, we're uh, under two weeks away now from the NHL trade deadline. So we will see if Jim Rutherford does take another swing at it. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, man. I wouldn't be surprised at all if we're talking about Jake Gensel. At some point here. What do you think about Riley Smith as a potential acquisition for a, a contending team? Oh, he's awesome, man. He's awesome. The problem with Riley Smith is he's kind of um, on-off. Like he's one year on, one right. year off. So this is the off? Yeah. yeah. So, I'm, I mean, if you look at him since 2013-14, right? He had 51 points, 20 goals in that first year in Boston. Next year, 40 points, 13 goals. Gets traded. 
First year in Florida, 50 points, 25 goals, pretty damn good. Next year, 37 points. Guess what happens? Gets untraded, actually. Right? Yeah. Yeah. More, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> then, then you know, he's been a little more consistent in Vegas, but still you're seeing, you know, 22 goals one year, 60 points, 19 the next, right? Um, every other year, Riley Smith crushes it. And I think the truth of who he is as a player is somewhere between. Those two extremes, yeah. But this isn't the year to acquire him. The year to acquire him is this summer. You want him for next year. Get him on the rebound. Yeah, he's predictably unpredictable. Well, especially, like, I don't Get know, on the, the dynamic of he was upset to leave Vegas, which, fair enough, as as uh, as Rob was saying, like, you talk about a connection between players and a team, and totally. obviously this was not the traditional one of drafted and been there your whole career, but still a really, really special connection between those six original guys and the Vegas Golden Knights. You leave that, that's tough. I mean, I don't know, let's say like in a hypothetical where he comes to Vancouver, is playing Vegas like the antidote to that? You're okay, mm. I gotta, I, I'll get this out of my system by going against them, or would it be complicated, right? Like, I don't know, from that perspective, uh, maybe he needs a little time to work it out of his system still. I mean, I get it. I'd be choked probably if I got traded from Vegas. I feel like <laughs> playing for Vegas would probably rock, man. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Be a great What's time. not to like? There is nothing to not like about playing in Vegas. I'm a big Vegas guy. Yeah, and, and affordable. Families like it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like you're living on the strip. It's no. not like for them what it is like for us visiting. And, you know, lastly, but but not least importantly, team's in the mix every year. Team is hyper committed to winning. Yeah. Which is a double-edged sword in Riley Smith's case, right? Because it's like, sorry, Riley Smith, we have to trade you. Yeah. Because we have other guys that we prioritize and uh, we want to sign. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Somebody texts in. Uh, everyone gets pouty when they get traded from Vegas, and they signed it from Nate Schmidt. I don't think it's actually Nate Schmidt. I think there was maybe some other things going on there as well uh, with Nate but, Schmidt, but not, not just not leaving a, Vegas. Not a bad comp, though, mm -hmm. right? Guy who was great in Vegas. That's true. Just and did I think not work was out. It was the same acquisition cost as well, third-round third pick, pick yeah. right? And I was like, oh, wow, that's a great idea. Bring him in. It's going to work out really well. Yeah, it didn't work out so well for Nate Schmidt here or for Riley Smith in Pittsburgh. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your thoughts in now. we got one final segment coming up here. Uh, we will chat. We will talk a little bit about Elias Pettersson. I want to get a, a national perspective on this. Are we making a mountain of a molehill, or is there something here? We'll talk to our buddy from ESPN, Ryan Clark, about that and more with the Canucks around the league coming up next year on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Bick Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintech studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, 
Ryan Clark from ESPN will join us here momentarily. I was just uh, catching up with uh, one of the most entertaining things going on around the Canucks right now, which is Jason Bruff's Twitter feed. Highly, a strong recommend over the last 24 hours or so uh, for anyone to catch up on that. You're not speaking for me there. I just want to note that. All right. Just I, I do not recommend Jason Bruff's Twitter feed. I'm just, look, I'm just, I can't tell if I'm, um, Happy or sad that he waited until this week to really like go into this mode of Jason Bruff or instead of when I was on with him uh, last week. But anyways, I'll just leave that there. Now joining us, we go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline where, as mentioned, we are joined from ESPN by our guy Ryan Clark. Ryan, thank you. As always, how are you? Good, good. How are you two doing this afternoon? Uh, we're doing great. We're having a great time It's here. weird in Vancouver, Ryan. I'm not going to lie to you. It's weird here. It's weird, but fun is what I would say. What makes you say that? I'm curious. So there's a lot of Elias Pettersson conversation happening right now. Is is Really? Something going on with him and his contract? Actually, no, Ryan. Nothing's going on. That's that's why the story's lost all its marbles is that there's nothing going on and everyone's sort of filling a vacuum of information. And, yeah, it's the conversation. It just feels like um, more detached from reality than usual in this market. Well, that sounds like a fun time. (laughs) (laughs) But I I was curious, like, from your perspective, because we, I think, sometimes here in the market, you know, we get a little, we can get lost in the minutia of things, right? But just big picture, looking at this from the outside, Elias Pettersson is a pending RFA, one of the best players on the team, having another really good season, hasn't signed, doesn't seem to be any any indication that he's going to sign anytime soon. From your perspective, is that like is that a big deal? Or are we just completely is is everyone who's talking about it and obsessing it about it here kind of obsessing over nothing? It's fair to say there are different ways to look at it because last time I was on this station we had the same conversation on a different show about the Pedersen contract. And one of the points that didn't come up, but it seems like it's a valid one, unless it sounds like the dumbest thing you two are going to hear is we've talked about what's made Elias Pedersen such a coveted player. And it's the fact that he's about to have another 100 point season. And when you look at the fact that he could post consecutive 100 point seasons, there's an expectation that players who do that are going to make a certain level of money. And if you're him and his representatives, does that play into the math for you? Because, yes, the Canucks are going to pay him. But when you look at the sort of players who have consecutive 100-point seasons or at least multiple 100-point seasons that are in their prime right now, you are talking about Connor McDavid, Leon Seidel, Nathan McKinnon. These are the sort of players that they're among the highest paid in the game. And if you are Elias Patterson and his representatives, maybe that's one of the points you're trying to make by the time this is all said and done, because yes, the Canucks have team control. There are different avenues they can go to get a deal done. But if you're looking at something long, long, long term, which if you're the Canucks or any team had Elias Patterson, that's one of the things that if you're him and his representatives, you're thinking about, well, how do you maximize the dollar amount? Because again, you're seeing what McKinnon is getting paid. You're seeing what Dreisaitl is getting paid. You're seeing what McDavid's getting paid. Now, yes, two of those three players have won the Hart Trophy. And in McKinnon's case, he, he's one of the favorites to win it this year. But at the same time, we've talked so much about this, not only on this show, but throughout the league. Number one centers are hard to find. You could argue that they're among the hardest position to find that and a goalie who can start more than 60 games a season in the NHL. 
and there's a reason they don't go to the market very often. But if you're the Canucks and you're Elias Pedersen, you're looking at all sides of this. And one of the sides that's really hard to ignore is when you look at where he is right now, as it compares to other players who scored 100 points as a top-line center who can create for themselves and others, players like that get paid. And, you know, I think part of the reason that we've been focused on this a lot here is, you know, for so long in the NHL, these situations seemed to be pretty rote, right? Like, okay, young star player, RFA, not his first contract, but going to sign his third contract. And usually what happens is that player stays with the team. They sign a big deal, usually long term to stay with their team. We've started to see that change, right, with Matthew Kachuk, Pierre-Luc Dubois. You throw Alex Dabrinkit in there. Now, that was a little different because he'd already been traded to Ottawa. But is part of this is that maybe we just haven't, like, our expectations of how these situations play out is maybe a little outdated and we kind of need to update. Maybe this is the new norm for how these types of things are going to play out. It's so hard to say what the new norm is because let's take Charlie McAvoy's contract as a really, really good example the way the Bruins were able to parse that out with McAvoy's contract in terms of his entry level, his bridge, and then his long term is Charlie McAvoy is going to play in Boston for 14 seasons, or he's going to be under contract for Boston in 14 seasons, or at least north of 12. That's an entire NHL career for some people. It held more than an entire NHL career for a lot of people. And it's one of those things where when you look at how teams are being built, we've talked about this a lot. It's about not only identifying the young players that you feel you have, but it's being able to build around them. It's what the Blackhawks did with Taze and Kane and, and Seabrook and Keith. It's what the Penguins did for many years with Crosby, Malkin, and Chris Letang. The Capitals with the Vetchkin and, and, and Backstrom. And, 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 to, and to a degree, guys like Carlson and, and Tom Wilson, though they're slightly younger, but the point being is this is what you're seeing. And if you're the Canucks, this is something that you're you're trying to do because in a sense, like you you've got Quinn Hughes under contract for three more seasons. You've got JT Miller under contract for several more seasons. Demko under contract for two more seasons. And this is how you win, and this is how you build in this league. And getting someone like Elias Pettersson under contract, it, it makes sense. And so the reason why it's so hard to say is this the new norm or it's not is because look, there are some players who they want that sort of length, they want that sort of term and they want the money over it, but then there's this school of thought, and you really started seeing this with the defenseman market, that, and with boards too, but mainly defense, because defense has turned into the new money position in the NHL, that with the cap going up, with things rising, with the economics of the league changing, it's not that long-term deals are necessarily a bad thing, but it's are you possibly losing money by signing a deal early compared to later? And so it's about, well, how do you maximize those dollars if you're a player and if you're a team, it's about how do you get away a guy? How do you find a way to pay a player, but do it in a way that it doesn't break the bank? So it's just with something like Elias Patterson, like it's a study in what really makes cap dynamics, the timing of the league, revenue, the whole nine, such a fascinating conversation on top of this one too. You think about where this team was a year ago, a year ago it's facing questions about the future. And now it's facing questions about can it win at all? And while that's a meteoric rise, you could also understand where you're like, well, then what does next year look like for the Canucks, given how much has gone on in the last 12 months? Ryan, from your perspective, I mean, the Pedersen thing. So before the season, he says he wants to discuss it after the season. 
In in fact, nothing appears to have changed, although insider reports would imply that the organization's grown increasingly frustrated or concerned with that stance. But otherwise, it's it's basically been radio silence, and yet the conversation's ongoing. Uh, from the outside looking in, does this seem like a spectacular circumstance to you? Hard to say because we just don't know all the variables because we've seen players before, especially players who play significant roles on their team, say they want to wait till the end of the season before making a decision. And again, we don't know what those variables are. It could be, does he want to see the direction of the franchise, which as we've talked about on this show, it's a fair conversation to have because again, we think about what the Canucks have been during Elias Patterson's tenure, which there have been moments where you see the promise and the potential. And then there have been those moments where you kind of wonder, well, what's next for this organization going forward? It could be the money, which we just sat there and discussed in terms of how do you make sure you're getting top dollar? It could be any number of things. It could just be the fact that the guy just wants to focus on hockey because again, you can understand that perspective too, but you also understand the perspective of the Canucks front office because with as well as he is playing, with as well as this team is playing, and the fact that you're seeing something sustainable, you want to go ahead and get this locked in as much as possible. But also, it kind of goes back to the philosophy we've seen the Canucks apply over the last 12 months, which has been being aggressive. They trade Bo Horvat. They take the first rounder for that and don't flip it to get Philip Ronick. You use the offseason to go retool with defense. You've aggressively won games to start the season and continue the season. And then they keep pace with the rest of the West, if not stay in front of the rest of the West. You went out and make these in-season trades like Zadorov, like Elias Lindholm. And then there's a the thought that they're not going to be done and that they could do maybe one more thing at the deadline. So it's sort of this weird dynamic in the sense of, like, you have one side that's trying to exercise patience for reasons they feel are valid. But you're talking about an organization that, hey, being aggressive has worked out well for them. So why wouldn't they want to do it with this as well? And about how it might interact with the, you know, the, what the Canucks are trying to do in that aggression. I mean, the trade deadline is just over a week away. From your perspective, do you factor this uncertainty in at all? Or do you just look at it as, hey, we have Elias Pettersson on our team right now, so we're going to go out and try to be aggressive? I mean, how does, how should it shape the Canucks trade deadline strategy? It's slightly more the latter with the idea that if you're trying to get someone that you think can stay on beyond this year and be more than a rental, then sure, you have to look at the numbers, which that's the situation they're facing with, of course, uh, Elias Lindholm with, with his contract situation. It's the situation they're facing with Nikita Zadorov. They've got to make decisions on guys like Ian Cole and, and Tyler, My- Tyler Myers, and of course they've got to sign Rona because he's under team control and, and Casey Smith. So again, these are all decisions that the team are going to have to make, but the difference is, is there is still team control with Elias Pedersen, So it's not like necessarily that the Canucks are up against this hard and fast deadline where the second, hey, free agency starts, like they run the risk of losing him. I mean, it's possible they could. It's possible he could also stay. But the team control element right now, if you're the Canucks, is really the biggest advantage you have in this situation. But in terms of trying to how in terms of just trying to make things work at the deadline, it's really about just looking at the cap dollars and saying, okay, is this person going to be a rental? Or is this someone that we would like to have for at least more than one more season because we feel they can play a big role? So it seems like that's kind of maybe the calculus going forward for the Canucks. Ryan, big win for the Seattle Kraken 
last night in the shootout against the Boston Bruins. They're hanging around on the fringes oh my goodness, of the playoff race. What? How would you handicap how they'll approach the NHL trade deadline here, given their sort of precarious spot in the standings and the business priorities of that club? So the difficult part about assessing the Kraken is they've been a difficult team to assess. Mm. Just look at 2024 alone. They enter the month on a four-game winning streak. They went five in a month for that nine-game winning streak that really sees them fall into the conversation of can they hold on to the wild card. Then they lose four straight games, alternate wins and losses to end the month. And even in February, they are four and five. And with that four and five, you've seen games like last night where you're able to go toe-to-toe with a team that could win the East in the Boston Bruins. Yet the game before, you lose 5-2 to the Minnesota Wild, which they were coming off of a back-to-back against the Edmonton Oilers. And so, again, just figuring out what this team is, what this team is, but more importantly, what they're going to do at the deadline, it's anyone's guess because, like, again, playing devil's advocate here. So let's put up a scenario where they decide they're going to keep their roster intact and they feel they can make a push. For one, they have players who were part of that run last year. Two, they have players with previous playoff experience that they've brought in who understand what that means. Three, they're getting the sort of consistent goaltending from Joey to court they haven't always had. When Again, when you look at his numbers and his save percentage, He's had more games above 900 than a lot of the Kraken goalies have had altogether in the time that 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 franchise has existed over the last few years. But then you think about what it would mean for them to move on from players at the deadline. Ron Francis could potentially get a lot for someone like Jordan Everly. You're talking about a top six, top nine, depending on the team winger, who can score, who's had playoff success. You're talking about someone who can bring in leadership into a dressing room. That could be an attractive ad. Alexander Winberg could be an interesting choice at two or three C for teams, especially as we look at teams that are in this market that are trying to look for that two or three C, especially that two C. Now that, of course, Monahan and Lynn Homer are off the board. You can think about the the conversation that's existed for depth players, like someone like Pierre Edward Belmar. It makes sense, kind of the way people have talked about how Nick Dowd makes a lot of sense for teams. And as we're going into this conversation about players with multiple years left on their deals but have cap hits that are relatively manageable, com- again, compared to others. Like, there's a thought that maybe someone makes a run at Adam Larson, especially when you look at the market mm-hmm. for right-handed defense, in which, as we've seen this year, the Canucks, the Stars, these are among the teams that if they had right-handed defense, how much would that change things for them? Like, So let's say, hypothetically, if the Dallas Stars were to go out and add someone like Christopher Tanev and you pair him with Miro Heiskanen, that suddenly makes them not only a deeper team on defense, but a more dangerous team with a first pairing that's capable of doing everything, including shutting someone down. Or better yet, let's say the Canucks were to add someone like Christopher Tanev. Not that anyone's ever seen that experiment, but in all seriousness. But let's say if they did, how much would that change things for the Canucks, knowing that you now have a top six with Hughes, Tanev, Myers, Roenick, Zadorov, and Cole and then maybe you rotate Carson Susie, or maybe it's Susie who's the sixth, and you made Ian Cole your seventh. Who's to say? But the point is, that gives them options, and that's why if you're the Seattle Kraken, you have a really serious decision to make. But, again, it's not just them. The Blues are having the same conversation. The Calgary Flames have been mm-hmm. having the same conversation for months now. The Nashville Predators, it's wild because 
you think about what they've been and they're having this conversation at the moment about what they should do, even though they're holding on to things. The Minnesota Wild are having this discussion. And yet, if you look at a team like the LA Kings, maybe they're not having the same discussion because they look like a playoff team. But if you're them, you're wondering, what do you do now knowing that Victor Arvidsson is going to be on the shelf? So, again, the Kraken are among those teams in the wild card race that have questions and answers, but a lot of them have questions. They play like this. The only teams not in a playoff spot in the Western Conference or in a playoff position in the Western Conference that don't have serious questions to answer about who they add going forward are probably the Coyotes, the Ducks, the Sharks, and the Blackhawks. Yeah, because they're not doing anything. And, you know, I find it really – And they have no one to sell. That's true for the most part. Uh, I find it really interesting, too, at the top of the Pacific in general, or, or specifically in the Pacific, you've got the Canucks, Vegas, Edmonton, L.A., and you look at it, you know, the Canucks have already uh, have already bought Elias Lindholm. We hear that they're still interested in Gensel, still interested in Tanev. You know, Vegas now, we know they're always aggressive. Mark Stone might open up some LTI space that they can use to the playoffs. Edmonton. Connected to Gensel, connected to Tanev, L.A. As you mentioned, Arvidsson on the shelf. Adrian Kempe could be a potentially a potential LTI candidate. Now it just seems like the Pacific already looks really daunting. But all of these teams, because of salary cap situations, because of just an aggressive mentality, like it, it feels like we might get a little bit of a bidding war just among the Pacific teams for some of these high profile names out there still. But I mean, it would make sense just because if you're all those teams in the Pacific you all have your valid reasons for why you think you could win it. Again, let's start with, with the Canucks. We've just talked about how everything they've done in the last year has worked out for them. And if you're them, why not think that you could continue this, especially when not only that you've won games, but like you've won games in ways that show that you're capable of playing any style. You want to play quick game, they can do it. Physical, they can do it. You need to outscore someone, they can do it. You need to shut someone down, they can do that too. You need Thatcher Demko to win you a game. Yeah, that's doable. You need your stars to do it. Certainly, you need your role players and depth players to contribute. Yeah, they've done that too. So there's reasons to think why the Canucks could do it. The Golden Knights are the defending champions. They have a blueprint and a model that works. So there's nothing really more that needs to be said on that. With the Oilers, you've seen them have some challenges this season, and then you've seen times where it looks like they're not human. And what you've seen from them lately is a team that's like, yeah, if they're able to add a forward or a defenseman, maybe both, but they might have to choose – one or the other, given their cap situations, what's to say that doesn't do for their confidence? And then when you look at the Kings, the stability they've had since bringing in Jim Hiller, they've won six of their last eight, and they've now kind of gone from this conversation of, like, will they hold on to a wild card spot to they came into today two points behind the Oilers for that third spot in the Pacific Division. And, what, they're, what, three points behind the, the Golden Knights mm-hmm. as well? So winning those one, winning one of those specific division spots is definitely attainable, but it just goes to show you how tight the Pacific division is, but also it, it says this too, and not trying to be funny or glib, but someone is going to walk away angry after the first round. That's not just the Pacific. Like That is realistically the West. There is going to be someone who is going to go all in that after four, five, six, seven games of the first round – they're going to sit there and go, how did it all fall apart? And maybe it's not necessarily fall apart, but just you're not always going to win because, again, this can't be said enough. Let's take the L.A. Kings, all the things they've done. The last time the Kings got out the first round, Quentin Byfield was an elementary school. <laughs> and look what he's doing now, man. That guy has, uh, has been really impressive. Uh, Ryan, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. 
You got it. Thanks for having me. That is Ryan Clark from ESPN. and uh, yeah, Our guy. The, absolutely our guy. The our Pacific guy. Division gauntlet shaping up, especially now, you know, the, L.A. The, has I righted the ship. I I just want to commend you on your courage for doing specific and Pacific. Pacific next to each other. I was, I was like, oh worried. boy! I was like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely occurred to me as I was doing it. I was like, this is a risky maneuver, but and it's fascinating because it's one of those things where you know before the Canucks made the Lindholm trade, right? And we were having so many debates how aggressive they should be, uh, should they go all in? And a response we would get frequently was, you know, their division's too good. Like you can't go all in because how are you going to be able to get it out of that gauntlet? I don't think Jim Rutherford looks at it that way. I think Jim Rutherford looks at it and says, we need to go add another guy to give ourselves the best chance of getting out of this division because, yeah, the division's tough. And not only is the division tough, Vegas and Edmonton might be competing for a lot of our top targets as well. It's a big expanse, right? It's a specific ocean. You're just waiting patiently the whole time to get that out. Very good. Sorry. But I think um, <laughs> you're just like okay. Back right, to this. Back we're gonna to try to talk. Gonna, <laughs> gonna try to talk hockey here. We got four minutes left in the show. Yeah, I got it. You got more Pacific puns. No, you want to get no, anything else? I'm fine. Anything else you want to get out of your system? Not specifically. Uh, <laughs> it's a good point though. Also from Ryan, there's going to be there's going to be some disappointed teams, especially in the Pacific. Like all four of those teams, by definition, I they cannot all go to the second round. Someone's going to be really, really upset that they're out in the first round. Like, none of those teams are happy-to-be-here teams. Oh, hey, we got to the first round. That's great for us. We'll take the next step next year. There's not a single team among them that can say that, and that makes it high stakes. I think that tells you why they're all willing to be aggressive to certain degrees, right? Because these are big years for them, and I I don't know. Like, if, if it does end up being... You know, if there's not the crossover where L.A. gets gets the central team or or a central team plays Vancouver, that bracket is going to be really, really entertaining because those are four heavyweight teams with a lot on the line going at it. Yeah, and <laughs> it's going to be a ton of fun, especially now that L.A.'s rebounded and Vegas has, yep. you know, gotten to the point where we don't feel like we know for sure the two, three, four. Right. So there's still like a dog fight for positioning there, 100%. Yeah. And you look at it for LA and Vegas. And that's the funny thing, too. On the other hand, it's bad news for the Canucks in some ways because Vegas now lingers outside that mix. Obviously, if you get them reassigned to the Central, that's great. But, but you, is do you have even to hold cl- off it, you, you have to overtake? Dallas and Winnipeg. Yeah, you have to overtake Winnipeg. Are there? Oh, I think so. By point percentage. Mm-hmm. Let's go, buddy. Anyways, nailed but, it. Um, But even if L.A. does leapfrog them. I missed you, man. That was so good. They have to overtake Winnipeg. If L.A. does leapfrog Vegas, I mean, is that even necessarily a bad thing for the Canucks? Like, to me, it's not clear. It's it's very much a pick-your-poison situation. I mean, Vegas is the most volatile team in that division, in this division, without question, right? Their range of outcomes is the widest. Um I still think the Oilers are the scariest team in the division. It is an interesting conspiracy theory, though, that uh, not only are they going to keep Mark Stone on the shelf for the LTI, but they want to drop down the standings to duck Connor McDavid in the first round. Ooh, wow. Uh, None of that's the case. (laughs) The LTI storyline, the like, oh, LTI is cheating thing. Like, man, fire me out of a cannon directly at a wall so I go splat so I never have to hear about a team being happy that their star player has a lacerated spleen. Yeah. Like, stop it. 
that's reportedly, by the way, according to Frank Saravalli, the team hasn't like confirmed lacerated spleen, spleen, but like no team is happy about that. Come on. Also, the NHL's created this situation. So if the league doesn't like it, they are they have only themselves to blame, right? Like you've created this environment where these are what the rules permit. But also how else would you do it? How would if you want a hard cap system? Well, that's what I mean. In a contact sport, it's a hard cap system. Yeah, and in, in, so in a contact sport, if you like insist hockey, on a hard cap system, you have to have these types of things in place. And yeah. guess what's going to happen sometimes? And, and would you rather teams not have a mechanism to replace injured players in a hard cap system? Come on, no, that'd be ridiculous. I'd rather not have a hard cap system. Is what I was getting at, right? Like, if you want, if you're committed to the hard cap system, you have to take all of the things that flow from it, and this is one of them. Hockey's the best with loaded teams. That's my view. I, I agree. agree with you. Uh, all right, we'll we'll wrap it up there. Canucks, Penguins tonight at Rod. Rogers Arena. Hopefully it's a fun one. We'll be back. I'm really stoked for the crossover tomorrow. Really looking forward to the crossover with Donnie and Dolly uh, after their Elias Pettersson experience. So we'll do that tomorrow. Have a good one. We're back here. Uh, Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650.